0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. This week, you know, we're coming off, we're in that hole between races, between Austria, where we had...
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was perfect.
0: It was, wasn't it? That was absolutely
1: accurate. (laughs) absolutely perfect
0: i i gotta thank five live for that that was part of their opening montage of clips which by the way if you haven't already been there go over to our facebook page where i posted the opening that video that that bbc's tv coverage led with which is also fantastic
1: what is a video the video oh your tongue's not working well this morning working on it here okay (laughs) um that was actually a very good open i love the bbc's opens i mean some are better than others but that one was particularly good
0: yes especially the clip of somebody driving michael schumacher's head into a wall well (laughs) actually it was was more of a bridge than a wall but
1: well yeah that was an ouch (laughs) (laughs) okay okay um, yes, we just had the Austria Grand Prix. And are, you're not going to try to reinstate the failed drinking game from last week, are you?
0: No, I will not do that, which means that probably at some point somebody's going to do it. and you know,
1: I'm looking at you.
0: So should we start at the back of the grid and work our way forward again?
1: Okay, so we're starting in Barcelona, correct?
0: <laughs> Pretty close to it. You know, the whole penalty... Th- I get the idea behind it. You know, we talked a little about this last week of McLaren with their 50 grid positions worth of penalties. But really, what's the point?
1: Well, okay, I think part of the point is that if they're going to give a 10 grid penalty for an engine change, they don't want that car to wind up qualifying 20th and, in essence, only taking a two grid penalty. But,
0: change. but here's what you could have done to mitigate this whole issue. Yes. If you need to take an engine penalty or in this case the multiple uh engine and other power unit component changes that McLaren needed to do that leverage that or that earn them this 50 grid position penalty. Just turn around and say car starts from the pits. Done. It makes a whole lot more sense than Oh, well we only have 22 cars on the grid, but you have 25 positions of grid penalties. It's it's just stupid. Just turn around and say, "Okay, more than two components or even yeah, more than two components of your power unit or you can't serve out the length of your penalty. You start from the pit lane." I mean, I I get the point that you don't want a team like Marussia to turn around and go, yeah, you know, every race we're going to go change out our engine because what are they going to do? Make a start and last? Oh, wait, that's right. We're starting and last anyway.
1: Well, the, the difference is that Manor Marussia couldn't afford to change their engine out every time around. That is the only thing that would prevent them from doing that.
0: But you have a team like McLaren that does technically have the money, although you've got to kind of wonder about that, and I'll get to that in a second, but does technically have the money to do frequent engine and component changes
1: you have a point i mean i like the idea of starting from the pits i personally think that starting from the pits makes an exciting race i do
0: yeah it i can. like it
1: better than the stop go penalty because then we just get to sit up and watch a car sit
0: well there's not only that but also it's that tendency that folks, especially the commentators, to forget that the car has the stop-go penalty, so the car pulls into the pits, and the team just stands there and stares at the car, because that's what they're supposed to do, and everyone goes, gee, what's going on? That's a really slow Oh, wait, that's right. There was a (laughs) (laughs) stop-go. Invariably, it always happens.
1: Well, just because they're not able to manage their post-it notes for the penalty situation does not mean we need to change regulations in Formula One. That said... I think that starting from the pits does lead, even, no matter backmarker top person in the team, I think it leads to a more exciting race because it's in motion. <clears throat>
0: Excuse me. Yeah, it does. Um, and actually, before I jump too far, I did want to point out, because I, we, we've got some clips from Button and, that we want to talk about as we're mentioning uh, McLaren. But Marusha, before we jump too far ahead, Yes. Marusha, number one, has a sponsor.
1: Woohoo! Woo-hoo! Airbnb.
0: Airbnb is on both cars. Um, they only had a single car finish. It was Mary. Stevens came out. Did you catch why?
1: No, I didn't actually. It was
0: not his fault. It was probably due to the collision between Perez and somebody. The, somebody had rear end. Uh, it was Perez and Kvyat. Mm. And he picked up a punctured radiator. It's believed due to damage... Uh, from debris on the track oh, okay. That's what knocked him out It wasn't any mechanical issues that the team had caused
1: Well and that's good news for them I yeah. mean truly it's good news for them However I do want to celebrate something With our friends in Manor Marussia. Okay. Best start of the entire season
0: Yeah <laughs> All the way up <laughs> in 13th <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, they started in the teens. Let's all celebrate.
0: You know, we were talking that if there was enough attrition in this race, they could have ended up with points again.
1: I know. I was really kind of hoping, especially after lap one, that we were going to have some attrition. Wow. Yeah. Um. So, okay, that's our friends over at Manor. Let's go back to Jensen because I think Jensen weighed in on his grid penalties pretty well um, after qualifying. He was a little down in the dumps, and down in the dumps for Jensen is – Sad and rare yeah,
0: you know, <laughs> j- Just a reminder, last week you thought Jensen w- was kind of happy and, and a little more positive and upbeat Until I replayed this clip for you So I wanted to make sure we had it this week
1: Well, yeah, but I, even even with this, I think he twists it So go on and play He does
0: It's going really well,
2: actually um, Yeah, I was P1, P2 every time I put a lap in So, you know, when the circuit uh, dries out It's basically where your car is And, um I would think I was also the first car pretty much to cross the finish line, so everyone's uh, got a bit more time when the circuit's drying to improve. So We can't do much about that now, but uh, I enjoyed it out there anyway. Um, I thought I was going to have a good race with Fernando tomorrow, but he doesn't get the, uh, the stop-go penalty now because he qualified 15th, so I won't be racing him either.
0: <laughs> you know, he, he does make a very valid point here, and it seems odd to have somebody who is talking... This down when initially things were, as he said, looking pretty well. And that's that when the track was wet, Jensen was up within the top five Mm -hmm. for every single lap he put down. Which really makes me wonder if this was – or if we see a wet race.
1: What could change?
0: Yeah, exactly how that car would perform and and how it would do. Now, one thing – that we know about Jensen and Alonzo this week, they were running a split strategy. Jensen w- was running a completely different Arrow kit than Alonzo. They wanted to get some track time with Alonzo's kit mm-hmm. and see how that performed in relation to the other. Now, it didn't really work out that well. Um, and actually, this brings me to my comment I made earlier about the question of, of McLaren and money. Oh, okay. Initially, when the uh, McLaren went out for testing after... Uh, the Austrian Grand Prix, because this week was a test session out in Austria. Mm -hmm. Um, It was driven by a paid driver, and give me a sec, I'll pull up. It was Stoffel van Dorn, who got in 76 laps. Um, The pictures that I saw, though, showed Stoffel driving with the old Aero kit. Now, I don't know if that was because he was in Jensen's car and they didn't fit it, or if he was in Alonzo's car and they hadn't gotten the parts yet. But they only had enough of that aero kit for one car. Right. And I, I get that they were running that split strategy to to balance out and see what the performance difference was between the two. But it just seems kind of odd that they didn't have enough of the, the parts for that car to have it run on day one of testing.
1: There's that, but... I don't then, know. I don't know. I think they were hoping for more information from, uh, from Alonzo's car before they headed out with testing pieces. Um,
0: so you want pre-race?
1: No, wait. Okay. We talk a lot, and I'm, I have to apologize in advance. We're kind of all over the place because we're bouncing back and forth, but we talk a lot about Jensen's truly positive take.
0: Yes.
1: And, and just kind of, this has been a crappy season for them. And yet, other than that quote, that last clip that you just played, where it's the closest to "down in the dumps" I've ever heard Jensen be. No, last
0: year towards the end of the season, once that season had pretty much gone into its tailspin, he was kind of down there too. <laughs>
1: He doesn't go very often and he tends to go, yeah, it's kind of crappy, but, you know, better luck next time. And there's always tomorrow. Well, he's come out and he's basically admitted that they're not, that he does not see McLaren seeing a podium this year. And that's bumming him out for Silverstone a little bit because that's the upcoming race. And, you know, you want to take your home team, your home race and all of that. But he, in an interview, he s- explained his view on this overly positive Jensen. Okay. And what he said is, I think it hurt – he talked about the negativity. I think it hurts everyone. It doesn't hurt me any more than any everyone else. I'm one of the spokesmans for, uh, spokesmans for the team. I've got to come across positive and confident because I've got 700 people at the factory that don't come to the Grand Prix, and it's very difficult to – difficult for them to see what happens i've still got one of the best jobs in the world i'd rather be in the front right now but still driving a formula one car for a living and, and
0: he's 100 percent right
1: yeah you can't argue with his his thoughts
0: you know i don't think that there's anybody out there who would honestly say that jensen is not a team player oh no now, you know, compare that to, and we've hinted and referred to this audio, I finally have it now, but compare that to Alonso on the radio at lap 16 in Montreal.
1: Okay.
2: Okay, Fernando. NASA is seven and a half seconds back. We must save fuel. We must target zero. I don't want, I don't want.
0: Already I have problems now. Driving with even looking like amateur. Yeah, I know it's a little garbled, but, you know, obviously the I don't want comes through very well and that he wants to race and they're looking like amateurs. But all I can do is I can listen to that and especially since we didn't see the race. But I could honestly picture Fernando as he's driving down that back straight. Yelling out, I don't want, I don't want As he's thrown his pacifier And his (laughs) bottle out of the car Ripping his diaper off his butt And (laughs)
1: flinging it (laughs) You think Alonso had a little temper tantrum
0: A little? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I get the frustration And he By by comparison to Jensen Fernando is known for this kind of stuff I mean, Mm -hmm. he did it last year with Ferrari Quite a bit But (laughs)
1: I think you're right. I think that he is having a a little temper fit. Um, And I'm sorry. Conserving fuel is conserving fuel, and it's an order. You don't turn around. I don't want to. I don't want to.
0: But he also makes a valid point, though. It's lap 16. I understand. And if you want to be competitive, and and he was at that point in the race – trying to hold on to positions and wasn't doing a very good job of it and then they get told yeah stop racing and conserve fuel that's frustrating oh yeah. you know that that's the well why am i out here in the first place if you're not going to let me drive the car
1: or you could take a little sip of the jensen kool-aid and realize that you've got one of the best jobs in the world even if you're driving on the back row of a formula one truck
0: and you know Pre-race on the grid, talking to David Cothart, Jensen definitely had more of that Kool-Aid. So, Jensen, nice to see you're smiling, all things considered. Uh, Technically, this is grid 42 by the time you go in and do your penalty. and It really doesn't, you know, I I can't find a question. Can you find an answer?
2: I would much rather start on grid 42. It would be a lot lot better uh, for me than having a drive-through. But, um, yeah, so on the first three laps of the race, I have to do a... I drive through the pit and stop in the pit box for 10 seconds and then go again. And uh, it doesn't collapse as a pit stop. So, um, yeah, it does take you out of the race completely. So, uh, it's not going to be the most exhilarating afternoon, but um, hopefully lap one will be fun. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, there's only 60-something laps in the race, so I'll have fun on the first one. Which I guess was better than his teammate had on the first lap of the race.
0: Yeah, and... That was actually really a bizarre incident. Lap one, what was it, turn one or turn two? two? Turn two. Kimmy loses control of the car and basically sweeps up Fernando,
1: mm-hmm.
0: piles them both into the wall on the left-hand side, with Fernando's car ending up on top of Kimmy's Ferrari and inches away again from Kimmy's head.
1: Oh, yeah. I loved the quote afterwards that... Fernando looked in his rearview mirror And saw Kimmy Kimmy's head Yeah, (laughs) I think upside down (laughs) But the two of them popped out of the car Checked and made sure each other was okay And
0: Well, Fernando was the first one to pop out And instantly went over to check on Kimmy Mm -hmm. And I think even Fernando realized that Kimmy just lost it There was nothing that could be done about it It was
1: Yeah And, you know, that's, that's that Very good sportsmanship between the drivers. Um, And I think Fernando was more concerned that Kimmy was okay. Yeah. But nothing was as nice to hear as when they played the radio call that Button had. Is Fernando okay? Is Fernando okay? Uh, Because he saw it. Yeah. I mean, he was right there behind it. It was in lap one that he was going to have all his excitement in. And I just... You could hear it in Button's voice. It's that same care and concern that anybody would have, but to be so close to it—is everybody okay? You know. Then, then they can start worrying about the fact that they destroyed the only version of the arrow kit they had. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Now, beyond that, that was about all the real headlines for McLaren because Jensen couldn't even get 10 laps out of the car before the engine ate itself, and they were forced to box the car and retire again. Mm -hmm. You know, to put this in perspective, for Fernando in particular, his last four races, he's had to retire the car.
1: Wow, he's in pushing some form Maldonado or records.
0: It, it's, be, it's been pretty close to that. I think Fernando has only been able to get that car across the line in two races all season.
1: I think that equals Maldonado.
0: Yeah. So we, should we talk about him?
1: Can we talk about Pastor?
0: Pastor, actually, everyone is saying, and and I kind of agree, had a pretty good race.
1: He did. Some
0: really good battles with folks, respectful careful, and um, at one point, was it Kvyat or was it with uh, Verstappen on the front straight that he uh, had a pretty serious tank slapper and managed to hold on to it and not lose that car? I mean, it was an impressive bit of driving and a really impressive recovery there. For Pastor, I think it was an outstanding—we haven't seen a race like that from him in years.
1: Ain't true. Uh, very, very true. um The the lap you're talking about, the Venezuelan appeared to lose control in a start finish straight, yep. and yet somehow managed to keep it on the track, and then pounced when Verstappen locked up on the next corner, and he, that's how he took P seven.
0: You know, there was a comment made. He in the last two races, he's picked up fourteen points. Mm-hmm. That's like more points than he's picked up in the last three years combined.
1: I know. It's it's pretty incredible. Um now Maldonado was reported to say after the race that the rookie was not quote respecting the rules. And um <laughs> when uh Verstappen hit back and I I got to tell you I kind of love love young Max. He hit back and said eh, that's quite funny coming from Maldonado. Yeah. <laughs> um however the Maldonado I he decided to take it all back and said, yeah, no, that's not really what I said. He goes, I always find it funny to hear what I'm reported to say versus what I actually said. So, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, but Pastor's view was if the stewards thought that the racing was fine, then they was fine with him.
0: Fair enough. So is he going to notice he has not come out and said, well, yeah, I didn't actually say anything about me having big
1: balls. (laughs) No, he's not. He's not refuting his ball comment. But um, he said he did say that it's been frustrating year for him with Lotus to not get any sort of reward until Canada. But to score in Canada and then Austria has been great and scoring is what we're all here to do. So he's pushing hard for points in every race. You know, for a pastor to push with control, we got to give him points. we got to give him props for that.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: So, um, hey, did you happen to know that Verstappen, youngest Formula One driver on the Red Bull ring?
0: I had no idea. I know. I, I, I never would have guessed that.
1: I know. <laughs> Sorry, it has to be said. Every day, it seems to have to be said.
0: Actually, I've noticed the broadcasters have finally started to back down on it.
1: Well, that's the thing. I was reading an article here recently about all sorts of various things, and one of the comments got made about Max is a great driver. There's no there's he no really is. about it. It's, it's no, been impressive. No quibbling about it. But if he was three years older and he was 20, he wouldn't be a story. True. And I think part of the story is the thought of three years behind the wheel of an F1 car. What kind of driver could he become? But I also think that, you know, it's that youngest driver thing and the fact that they've always got something to fill the air with. But I did laugh. I'm like, you know, Carlos Sainz is also a very good driver. And we don't hear quite as much about him because it's not as novel.
0: But Carlos also hasn't been doing quite as well true I mean he's he's doing well and he's definitely holding his own and he's performing I think where you would expect a Toro Rosso driver to perform but he's not doing quite as well as Max's
1: yes um just to give a little preview piece because it makes sense with the Max thing in the silly season conversation there have been cries for the Vettel Verstappen mix oh boy <laughs> um I don't think that that's possible, but okay. Um, Who else do you want to talk about in the race?
0: Well, you know, we have to talk about the finish because that's really where everything else is, is our finishing position in the podium. Lewis ends up in second after a bad start, which he's blaming on his clutch. Correct. Now, he's saying that that's why the last... Well, since Barcelona, he's had bad starts as they changed the the clutch material, and they changed, in particular, the springs in the clutch. And in doing that, and apparently it was in response to issues that Nico was having in the beginning of the season, that they made this change to make them equal, and now he's having issues.
1: I'm sure he's about to start screaming, give me my old clutch back.
0: He already is.
1: Now, shockingly to some, I guess— He did not participate in the testing right post-race. He went back to Monaco to apparently hang out with Farrell. And the question was, if you're having so much trouble finding the bite point in your clutch, perhaps you should be out on track trying to find the bite point in your clutch.
0: It it definitely does sound like an odd decision to go running off and play with music stars, but whatever. Um, You know... The other thing, though, to mention is that this is truly the first time that we've seen Nico outrace Lewis.
1: Well, and that's the comment that I had heard over and over again, is we've always heard that Nico couldn't overtake Lewis without a mistake. Mm -hmm. Now, we could argue that his clutch issue is a mistake or the team hampering him or something like that, but... Truly, everybody has said the position that Nico took on and the line he took off the the start, Lewis would have had to have been incredible. And one of the problems is the way that that track is laid out. Mm-hmm. The, it really does have an advantage to the second place, the P2 driver.
0: But Louis, it, it wasn't strictly a matter of Nico beat Lewis off the line and he was off to the races. Lewis fought back for the first three or four corners. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it was after corner number three or four that Nico then was gone and Lewis didn't have any hope.
1: Right. And Nico just dominated that race. Now, there is also the conversation that Lewis does not like that track.
0: Apparently not.
1: It is not his track at all.
0: So, so we, we will see what happens because the next track that they head to, Silverstone, is one that he absolutely loves. Right. So we will see how that goes.
1: And he's obviously looking forward to winning in front of the home crowd. Any other notable conversations from the Austria Grand Prix? Well,
0: do we want to go into silly season or do we want to talk rules?
1: I think we need to take a little uh, jaunt into the rules real quick because I don't think that's going to be as long a conversation particularly. I could be wrong. Um,
0: it, it could when I talk about what Gary Anderson had to say.
1: Okay, this is that on the air prep thing that we we try not to do. We do. Okay, silly season.
0: Silly season. Okay, cuz I think we are officially in silly season. It's time for the official silly season music. <laughs>
1: We were in Silly Season when Lewis was not signing the contract with Mercedes. It's been Silly Season for a while. Well,
0: we we were in the Silly Season there, but with this one and this story, especially given the amount of sourcing that it has, Mm. no, now we are firmly embedded in it.
1: Okay. Take it away. What's the lead story in Silly Season?
0: Everybody has picked up on – and, and you, a lot of times you've got to look really close to figure out what's going on. Everybody has picked up on this one story that has come out of uh, Germany's Bild. And I think that's – it's either magazine or newspaper. But Bild apparently, if you really get down to it, is known for some sketchily sourced articles <laughs> that are guaranteed to grab headlines. Okay. <coughs> so Bild claims – that Ferrari has approached Williams, and and paid them the service, paid them for services for one Valtteri Bottas to replace Kimi Raikkonen.
1: Interesting.
0: Now, Fox News, which by the way I didn't know covered,
1: oh yeah. one,
0: but Fox News has come out and claims that. Um, the contractual option that, that um, Williams has, uh, they, they have an option on his contract for next year, and that Ferrari would need to buy the contract out to steer him away. Between Fox and Build, they claim that uh, Ferrari has offered $4.4 4 million. However, Claire is demanding from Ferrari nearly, nearly four times that much. Wow. That's the claim. That could be very interesting. So then the question is, who takes Valtteri's seat?
1: Wait, before okay. you go there. Okay. At the same time that little swirl is happening, Maurizio Arrivabene mm-hmm. is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. We are talking to a lot of drivers. They have not confirmed or denied Kimmy yet.
0: Well, yeah, they And won't. we are
1: talking to a lot of drivers. And the quote was... If I gave you a list of the drivers who have called me since the start of the season, Botas is one of many. So then the follow-up question to this... Oh, well, he finishes out. The Ferrari is the car that everyone dreams of driving, and there are only two seats, and both are full. That's a Riva Bene's position. Mm -hmm. Now, he was asked specifically if Ricardo had asked to come to Ferrari, (laughs) at which point... Arribe Benet says no, he has not heard from Ricardo, and his reasoning was perhaps he doesn't have my phone number <laughs> I have this picture in my my head that Aribe Benet's phone number is on a series of post-it notes that get passed around the paddocks, and it's like hey pst, do you have Mauricio's phone number here? I got it for you
0: <laughs> I was kind of thinking it was painted on the side of a car
1: but... <laughs> possibly it might be in the men's room. Yeah. <laughs> for a fast car. For, for a good ride. <laughs> that would have cost us the clean rating. I'm sorry. I did not mean it that way.
0: <laughs> um
1: anyway, I mean that there there's there's that. But yes, Botas is um the rumor mill currently. Um, they're talking a lot about Kimi just retiring from Formula One or possibly going to one of the endurance series.
0: Well, Kimi at one point turned around and said he was retiring after 2016 anyway. But this is one of those things that I think Ariva Bene is doing what he needs to. And if he's smart, and, I'm, and he appears to be, we will not know what Ferrari's driver lineup will be until after the end of the season. Because they we, we may have some pretty clear signs, but I suspect that part of the issue is that Kimmy needs to be managed. And the minute they turn around and say Kimmy's out of his seat
1: He won't be managed whatever
0: remaining motivation that Kimmy's Kimmy has is gonna go right out the window because he's that kind of a driver.
1: Right. Well, I mean wasn't he when he was leaving Lotus? Didn't he go get back surgery?
0: Yeah, he announced back surgery and, and he missed the last two races of the season, right? So,
1: so there's that. Okay, so now who would take go Bo- So, if we move Botas to Ferrari, um, who would take Botas's seat in Williams?
0: Well, the rumor is Nico Hulkenberg.
1: Oh, that would be nice, he's a good driver.
0: And you know, we talked a little about this last week. I think Hulkenberg's only real choices at this point is to try and get a seat either at Williams, if he considers Williams a step up. And at this point, it is. Mm-hmm. is either Williams or to try and get Raikkonen in seat at Ferrari. Beyond that, I think he needs to go and pack his bags and go to WEC.
1: Oh, yeah. But I think that what's going to hold Hulkenberg back um, is that he hasn't gotten the success in Formula One that he has seen in every other series he's raced in, and I think it becomes the um, that elusiveness of it all.
0: Well, he hasn't seen the success in terms of podiums. They know he's a quality driver. They know he's a good driver, and him going to uh, Le Mans two weeks ago helps to reinforce that. I mean, this is a guy who, all of a sudden, what was it? Well, it was his last year at Sauber. He was turning around and putting that car in the top ten when everybody had written it off for dead again. Right. He's, he's, he's got the skills, and everybody knows that. It's just he's never been paired with a car that he can really get to shine.
1: And we cannot forget that with the new era of Formula One, he is handicapped. He's six feet tall.
0: He's not as handicapped this year as he was last year. They did change the rules regarding weight and height this year. That was one of the minor changes. It's not as big a deal. And the truth of the matter is, if the car works, that's not an issue.
1: Well, it's a, a matter of how many ounces do you have to give up in the car weight, in car power, to accommodate him for the total lightness of the car, and you know, I forget exactly how uh, DC had put it, but it favors the five foot six driver. It just does.
0: It it does, but he's also proven that it's not as big of an issue as everybody wants to make it out to be.
1: Well, true, but we don't have horse jockeys that are six feet tall either. So yeah. I mean, let's just kind of level set that. All right. So there's the possibility of Hulkenberg. Hey, could Max go to Williams?
0: You know, at some point, maybe. I don't know. I, I don't think that they would move on him just yet. All righty. That's my thought. Well, I th- I think Max is going to stay put for a while.
1: It'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, any other silly season news?
0: Not unless you count Eddie Jordan saying that Bernie Eccleston should step down.
1: Winner, winner, chicken dinner right there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Honestly, I find this comment, th- these comments to be very, very surprising because Eddie Jordan has always spoken, well, relatively well about Bernie. I mean, he admits, you know, we played it earlier this season, nobody always understands what Bernie is doing, what his thoughts are. But overall, in terms of his management, he's always spoken well about Bernie. So I I don't know.
1: Well, some of this is in light of the fact that there is a new spinning rumor about a buyout of the...
0: CBC Capital. C-
1: CBC Capital. Um, now, this is not the first time that we've had a rumor particularly... Um, of an American or an American-led group wanting to buy out the Formula One deal from CBC. Um, now, right now, it is currently rumored about Steven Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, mm-hmm. combining with a Q- uh, Qatari. Qatari group to buy the Formula One rights. Um, prior to that, there was talk of Murdoch, uh, Rupert Murdoch, Buying it out? Oh, that would destroy it. Yeah, that was about four <laughs> years ago, four or five years ago. Um, and there was another, uh, there was another rumor of somebody else, but um, one of the pundits on F one that I read, the big headline was Americans please save Formula One. Um, so it seems that American interest in buying Formula One is seen as a very good thing, but this is currently what could happen. If they buy out CVC, does that mean that Bernie needs to then take a step back? Because he's the one that sold it to CVC in the first place.
0: The, there's that. Bernie shares in, in how his ownership works. It's incredibly complex. Um, between what he owns, what's in the family trust, because there's some in the family trust. And I think he has a piece of CVC capital as well. Um, and that whole deal, of co- of course, got scrutiny we talked about last year over the bribery charges and the various shady dealings that went along with that. Um, but the other piece is that CVC is known, I guess, their normal investment cycle for anything that they jump into, and they're a venture capital firm, is between 7 to 10 years. Mm-hmm. We're at that 10-year point. So th- this is naturally based on what CVC does about where they'd be looking to get out. Now, the big hope with this American finance group and, or Qatari group or whoever they actually shake out to be is that when they co- whoever comes in and replaces CVC – they start to manage the sport from the basis of what's good for the sport as opposed to what's good for the VC fund and what's good for the finances. Theoretically, these should not be independent concepts. Right. But CVC's stance has always been more focused on the financial aspect and not on the sporting aspect. Very
1: interesting. Interesting. Um, Speaking of Bernie's influence over the sporting aspect, are you aware, you know, the contract for the tires is going to come up for the three-year tire deal starting Mm -hmm. 2017? Do you know who gets to make the choice?
0: I'm guessing not the strategy group because they're, you know. Impotent. The League of Super Evil. (laughs) Actually, that would imply that they have some impact on something. Um. <laughs> Go back to impotent. <laughs> John um, Todd, Bernie. Okay, because that makes sense.
1: I know, and I don't fully understand what Jean Todd was explaining. Because this is John Todd explains that Bernie has the pick of this. Um, he says we have a division of responsibilities. The Frenchman told motorsport.com. The FIA needs to secure the confirmation on the technical and the sporting side. And then it goes to commercial rights holders to address the commercial side. Both tire companies, speaking of Michelin and Perali, mm-hmm. are really adventurous. So I'm sure they can supply the sporting and technical side. So what can be the benefit for the promoter and and for the teams on the commercial side? So he's already abdicated his choice. And saying both can meet the need, and so now it's whatever deal Bernie can come up with.
0: This goes back to the fact that the FIA, while technically the sport's regulating body, does nothing more than has a bunch of regulations and doesn't do anything else to manage the sport, to oversee the sport, to supervise the sport. And I get that there are some EU antitrust regulations that have – required them to give up some degree of control but it's part of the reason why the sport is in the situation that it's in and we're in this current paralysis as to what to do because there is nobody to step up and take charge and say this is what the sport's going to be build your cars to this specification this is what we want as opposed to what it is now of Okay, teams, let's throw some spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks and tell the FIA those are the rules that they're going to enforce because that's what we've come up with. I know. And that's not how this should be working. You know, there's been a lot of talk over the last few months, possibly even years, that Formula One is the only sport that allows the teams to make the decisions on the rules. Mm -hmm. And it's not quite accurate, it's close. I mean, yes, most sports, the the governing body of whatever it is, sets the basic rules. But if you look at the NFL or the Major League Baseball model, which isn't the same as, say, Premiership football, Major League Baseball will come out with rules, but they will then take that rule set over to the team owners, and the team owners get some say as to whether or not those rule, rule proposals are actually incorporated. So if, say, Major League Baseball decided that they were going to get rid of the designated hitter in the American League, the teams get to vote as to whether or not they're going to let that happen. Oh, okay. Because interleague play, which I think was the last really huge revision, that was something that the team owners – was they approved it. But it's still that matter of somebody says, this is what the rules are going to be. Mm-hmm. And takes that forward to the owners and, and it, it's more along the lines of you need to evaluate the practicality of this. And it's not from that stance of, well, if we propose this, this could give us a 15 second advantage over everybody else. And I know that um, Force India doesn't have the technical ability to go in and reproduce it, so ha, ah, sucks to be them. No.
1: Right. That would be the equivalent of the New York Yankees saying that um. everybody with a bear on their uniform has to have a a two-run penalty in every game.
0: But the Cubs suck so badly that you wouldn't know to begin with. Hush.
1: <laughs> We're not talking to you. Um, so the question as we transition from silly season to silly roll season, so the ultimate question really is, is Formula One dying? Does it have... A disease or do we just need some minor tweaks? Jean Todd, our dear sweet John Todd, um, has come out recently and said that he doesn't think we are fighting cancer. We are facing a headache. So we need to find a prescription for the headache. I disagree that we have to cure a cancer. And in a way, a headache is on its way to be cured. We don't need big changes. I think I don't think the FIA needs big change – or the F1 needs big changes.
0: Well, let's start with change number one. Stop broadcasting every time a team tells a driver to conserve fuel or lift and coast because that just causes people to jump up and down and scream that, that drivers aren't driving flat out. Mm-hmm. Even though they couldn't tell the difference.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Let's just start that. I mean, yes, that's a minor tweak. But that being said, let's go back to somebody needs to take control of the sport, and it shouldn't be Bernie.
1: No, I don't think so.
0: He can have a say, but he's the commercial rights holder. Somebody needs to take control and set the rules and say this is what it needs to look like. This is what we want it to look like. Go forth and build it.
1: Yeah, and truly.
0: And in all honesty, I would rather it not be Bernie anyway. I think, well, yes, he has brought a lot of money to the sport. He's brought a lot of viewership to the sport. But his stance and his position at this point is outdated.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, anybody that doesn't want to embrace social media for a sport that screams social media is got a problem.
0: Well, there's also you got to kind of wonder, and this goes back to the evil genius of Bernie. By turning around and saying, oh, I think this is irrelevant. Was there a part of him that also knew that social media was going to lose its ever-loving mind? And that, that comment was going to get replayed and reposted and shared and whatever ad nauseum for weeks. And this was going to be something that him and By general relationship The sport was going to be known for Is by making this comment
1: He may Have thought that he could make it relevant By calling it irrelevant But that is A it's a risk And B it still makes you look like a fool And I realize that Bernie is not Above looking like a fool to further his pocket But I think that That was not one of his wiser moves
0: Possibly not
1: now, I know Gary Anderson has come out with a, a group of proposed rule changes that he thinks would change the face of the sport.
0: He does. Now, for those who aren't familiar, Gary Anderson is a uh, former engineer for several teams mm-hmm. uh, and also was the technical expert on BBC's coverage for quite a while. It was actually Gary who probably identified the problem with the t- w- the root cause of the tires exploding at Silverstone, what was it, twenty thirteen or yeah, twenty thirteen when that happened? Yes, Gary was probably the one who figured out what the issue was. Um, he is incredibly smart, incredibly familiar with racing. Um, those who watch the NBC coverage and are impressed with Steve Match, Gary's above Steve. Yeah,
1: <laughs> truly. Yeah, and I got to say that much like Steve, though even to a degree more so he has the ability of translating all of that technical knowledge into something that makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Um, he is, he's an incredibly bright boffin.
0: So over on auto sport, he actually, it's a, it's a two part series and you've got to subscribe to auto sport. You can, I think just a free, actually no, a free subscription won't even let you in. You've got to subscribe to him to read his column. Um, but he did a two part thing on fixes that he's recommending to the sport. Um, now, I'm not going to go into the technical ones because some of them are rather complex, and I only barely understand some of them. But he did a, a section on sporting regulations. Okay. So his first proposal is that spare cars should be allowed. Oh, neat. Um, his uh, his objective here is that to allow drivers to be on the track because that's where the viewers and the spectators want. So why penalize the paying public? Nice.
1: So that's like his that thought there. Plus, that really harkens back to its roots when the guys could hop out of a car and grab another car. And keep going.
0: Well, the one thing that he, that he does to try and make it a little bit more difficult is that while, yes, the team gets to bring a spare car, but it's in pieces.
1: Oh, so they have to put it
0: together. They have to put it together. If, oh, it looks like the engine's going, how quickly can you go and get that car assembled? So it may not completely pull it off. It depends on when it is, but it gives them a little extra leeway. Okay. So his suggestion number two. Reduce pit stop personnel to 11. Two per wheel, one rear jack, one front jack, and a control person. The objective behind this is to make pit stops that little bit longer to allow the viewer or spectator to see what is actually going on. So his example is that a two-second pit stop is fantastic, but a three-second stop that could be observed would be two.
1: Interesting.
0: Okay. So number three would be to leave uh practice one two and three as they are Mm
1: -hmm.
0: crack or or recommendation number three or or number four rather and there are some pieces to it saturday qualifying would be replaced with a sprint race of a minimum of 150 kilometers driver's grid position to be set from the fastest lap order from the previous race weekend's feature race that would be the sunday race For the first weekend of the season, and to get fan involvement, the grid for the sprint race would be set by a fan vote. And basically, you would text or email FOM, your nominated driver, and the driver with the most votes starts on poll and so on down the grid. He says it works for Britain's Got Talent, so it should work for
1: F1. Interesting.
0: So now 4.2 of this. Drivers would still have to use both tire compounds, so a pit stop would be necessary. He's got a points allocation, and this would be 12 points and work its way down from there. Um, For the
1: sprint race qualifier? For the
0: sprint race, you would get points for that. 12, 9, 7, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 would be the points allocation. So recommendation five would be Sunday's race to be the feature race of a minimum of 250 kilometers or 155 miles. The grid would be set in championship order reversed. In other words, the driver with most points starts at the back. I know, you're not a big fan of that. I am not. Drivers would still have to use both types of tires, so a pit stop would be necessary, and this would remain with the same points allocation that we do now. Now, his own words here. Everyone will say that's really stupid and ask why do that. Well, there are many reasons, and his reasonings are such. At the moment, the fastest driver in the fastest car starts on pole position and normally goes on to win the race. Why should we expect anything exciting to happen when the cars start off arranged in pace order? His next point, the races that I have seen where a quick driver has had to start from the rear and come through have always been exciting. The drivers involved have always enjoyed that extra challenge. And Next point, in the recent Canadian Grand Prix, it was around lap 34 that when we first got a decent bit of TV coverage of the two Mercedes car. Why? Because up front, it was boring. The only thing that made the race interesting was Vettel and, to some extent, Massa, who were both coming from the back. Hmm. This is next one. For far too long, we have had the really quick drivers and the quick cars winning the championships. These changes will add that extra dimension of how a driver can handle and overtake traffic. Um, because the grid for the next race weekend sprint race is set from the fastest lap order from the previous w- race weekend's feature race, it will mean that everyone will have to pull their fingers out. No sandbagging saving tires. Cause remember, that's the other thing. Yes. You may end up in the back of the grid because your pace is faster. It still behooves you to set the fastest lap because it puts you up at the front at the Saturday race the next weekend.
1: Right. But Saturday's race doesn't affect Sunday's order.
0: It it does no oh no it, I'm sorry it's points allocation
1: it's point, points allocation
0: so but so actually it could because you get points for Saturday's race
1: so it's not a it's not truly a qualifying race at no. all it is a two race weekend
0: exactly with the races relying on each other for positioning and points
1: it's an interesting thought it is and I will grant as much as I don't like the reverse grid option. I just don't. Mm-hmm. I do like the races where we've had some interest with somebody. Remember the race where Vettel started in the pits with Red Bull and yeah. ended up you know, on the podium? Those were good races. I will grant. But I just don't like it. When I'm well, Alonzo.
0: His, his other points that he makes here is that the race format changes seem radical, but they will force teams to produce cars that can run well in dirty air and allow the drivers to be attacking from lap one to the checkered flag. Everyone keeps trying to create the F1 they want by changing every single technical rule, but if you create the conditions in which fast drivers must overtake a lot of cars to win every time, surprisingly enough, the teams and their armies of engineers will work out how to do it. By reversing the grid for the feature race, you will achieve that. And while it's radical to have a fan vote for the sprint race in the first weekend of the series, that will force the teams and drivers to work harder to engage with the millions of people who make F1 possible during the preseason when usually they're doing everything they can think of to hide the new cars and stop anyone getting near them.
1: That's a very good point. Plus, fan involvement causes passion.
0: It does. Now, Formula E has tried to do that by again, it's a fan vote thing, but the winner of the fan vote at every race gets a, a bit of a power boost during the race that they can use.
1: Interesting, yeah. Uh, you mentioned Formula E, which means I have to bring up another headline that I read this week. Okay, Sir Richard Branson.
0: Oh, I saw this,
1: b- has announced that he believes that Formula E will be bigger than Formula One by 2020?
0: I think there's potential, but I don't think so. And and the thing that I think Formula E has going for it, that Formula One does not, is because those cars are so much quieter and they run on such smaller circuits, they've been able to bring Formula E into these downtown areas. Maybe like Hoboken? Not Hoboken, <laughs> but sh- they ran a formula one e or, or a formula e race through Rome,
1: oh yeah. Now, Formula
0: One will never do that.
1: No, his quote is that there will still be room for Formula One for a few more years, but I would say that there will come a time when Formula E will overtake it. With Formula E, you can still hear the roar of the cars from the tarmac as they come through a corner.
0: But okay, wait, wait, wait.
1: wait. Let me finish. (laughs) But at least you can have a conversation and a drink while you're watching, which you can't do with Formula One.
0: Formula E cars don't roar. they sound like power wheels they do not roar at all i um, no and the the big argument this year over the engines has been that actually you can do that you can have a drink and you can have a conversation during the race so richard you backed out many many years ago out of formula one you're lost dude <laughs> i have a lot of respect for you and many of the business decisions that you've made, but just because you screwed up and pulled out of Formula One when you possibly shouldn't have, not sorry, that's not going to make Formula E better. (laughs) It's just not happening.
1: Very interesting.
0: And I'm still waiting on my invitation to Necker Island, so call me. I know, I'm not getting it now. (laughs) You are so out of
1: that invite list, it's not even funny. Um... So my questions, my questions are, do we think Gary's proposals will get any traction anywhere?
0: No. It's just one more journalist adding noise to the, to the, you know. So. Adding to the noise, I should
1: say. Yeah. You probably could just end the sentence right there. (laughs) Um so one of the things I was reading about various and sundry things, um, beyond the sporting regulations that Gary has offered up, the question about the tracks themselves, I was looking for it really quick and I can't find it quickly, but the argument that Formula One has become neutered mm-hmm. as Hand in hand with the idea of how our tracks have been built or altered for safety.
0: This one I do kind of agree with.
1: And the argument is that we've decreased gravel pits. We've moved the walls back. We have stopped the danger piece. And so that by the time a car actually graces the wall, it has been slowed down to the point that impact is minimal and it, it takes the balls out of the sport, thus the neutered comment. It's an interesting argument. My favorite line from the article, which I wish I could pull up, but I can't write the second, was that they should no longer allow Harmon Telke to design tracks, that he's neutering the sport.
0: To some extent, I think he is. Now, the The issue I have, I, I get pulling walls back. That, that makes sense. There, there's some logic there. Mm-hmm. The problem I have is paving over these gravel traps and making these extended runoff areas, because that does turn around. It removes a lot of that penalty for straying outside of track boundaries. And if we've you at least the,
1: the drivers take we see it all advantage, the time. It. they take They'd advantage. They lowered of it all the, the time. curbs too. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, d- noticeably lower this year It's several mm-hmm. tracks. That that kind of bothers me. Um, And I get you don't want to be launching cars into the air, but okay, then let's bring back the gravel traps. Mm -hmm. Let's make it so that if you go and step off the line, yeah, you may not turn around and get launched into a wall, but you may get stuck. Yeah, you may get stuck. It could end your your race because you got stuck in the gravel. Mm -hmm. Or at the very least, you lose a lot of time because you ended up having to try and recover and pull yourself out of the gravel. And the gravel is still safer. Right. Or make it sand. You know, do something that you pay the price for running off the track, other than, oh, I went over the lines. I might have to give a position back right. if there's somebody around.
1: Right. I think that that's the interesting thing. And that could be an easy, quick win. When we talk about quick wins for things that they could do, can they. Undo without giving up safety. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, last thing I want is Jackie Stewart to haunt me. <laughs> um, it's...
0: Especially since he's still alive. That'd be really weird.
1: Well, there's that. <laughs> and, you know, there's only so much plaid a man could wear at one time.
0: He challenges that notion every time he's out.
1: <laughs> I think there is a special store that Jackie Stewart and the late Payne Stewart bought all of their clothes from. <laughs> Um but I think that we have we've watched the pendulum swing. This idea of safety at every cost has cost the drama of F1. And the argument when you look back through the years of F1, a lot of the arguments that pundits and various people make Hold no water when you look at the actual stats. overtaking has always been hard in f one We didn't have more overtaking twenty years ago.
0: No, we definitely
1: did. We would have races that literally there would be thirty seconds between one and two and third was lapped
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that that wasn't uncommon, and yet we've tightened the field but have not created more excitement. The heyday of Formula One is during the 70s and the 80s, and arguably, probably a small percentage of the races would you call exciting, True, by exciting to by today's standards, exciting. If you look at the numbers of overtakes and the spread of grid, there were many that were very, very, quote, dull. And yet overall... The sport was exciting because you had twofold issues. You had the element of danger that off meant off and off had a consequence, which doesn't Mm -hmm. have a consequence today. And the other key thing that the teams in their desire to keep their cars secret and keep people away from their world, they're not creating the superstars that they had of the 70s and the 80s the personalities are not there that they used to be the the ones that had the deep rivalries that literally movies are made of and even bernie evil genius that the man is has said that lewis is one of the best champions they've ever had they've had recently because he is in that superstar category yeah but you take a quiet Vettel who was a champion for four straight years and you don't get a rivalry with him. He's too nice. You don't get the 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 Hunt Lauda, uh, the Cineprost rivalries well, like that. And I, even when they try to manufacture them, no, they're I, not there.
0: I, I'm not sure that's completely accurate. Um, I, I think there was potential several times for such rivalries to really flare up between Weber and Vettel. But Weber was so convincingly beaten by Seb so many times and seemed to get the majority of the bad luck in general that things never really got to heat up the way they should have. Because if they were a lot closer, if... Weber didn't seem to be the one who got the larger share of mechanical failures compared to Seb, especially after Malaysia and Multi Twenty One. Seb and you would have seen ongoing. I mean, and you could hear the undertones of it throughout the years from the him him winning Silverstone and going not bad for the number two driver because he had to give up an arrow kit and give it to Seb and he still beat Seb and. the the crash in Turkey and and all these other opportunities.
1: But they were diffused for whatever ability. And yes, Weber suffered. He was never head-to-head enough with Vettel. Your closest that you're getting to that kind of rivalry is that Rosberg-Hamilton thing. And quite frankly, they're not angry enough at each other. And they don't stay angry enough at each other.
0: Well, that's the thing. They don't stay angry enough at each other. I mean, that that's truly what it is. But coming out of this whole thing. Multi-21, Seb. Yeah, multi-21. That, Weber never calmed down. Mm-hmm. It was at every opportunity that he had at that point to go up against Seb, We had a bad pit stop. We had an engine that blew up. We had a tire come flying off the car and take out a cameraman. I mean, that wasn't... That was ineptitude on the team more than anything else that diffused that battle. Not anything else.
1: Yeah. But the... I just don't think that the... The fire is right for that good head-to-head battle. The one that continues off the track. Yeah. You know, we haven't, uh, short of, I mean, even listening to that that clip with Weber, Multi-21 said, Multi-21, he's not in Vettel's face about to punch the man. I mean, seriously. And you know as well as I do, Lauda and Hunt got up in each other's faces. Sometimes I don't think they really did.
0: They were always friends at some level, always. You're not taught, Santa Cruz is a different story, <laughs> but Hunt Lauda, there was always a level of mutual respect and friendship there.
1: I don't know. I mean, okay, mutual respect and to a point, but I don't think that Lauda honestly thought. James Hunt belonged in Formula One. No, I don't think think that's
0: the case. I think think you're misunderstanding the relationship that they had compared to the relationship that Hunt's McLaren team had with Lauda's Ferrari team and how bitter those two were. I think that was more of a bitter rivalry than the Hunt-Lauda
1: rivalry. Okay, so it carries. I think over that was the more teams. of it, yeah. And that's possibility, but okay. Then and, and
0: you don't have two teams right now that are we. I must break you. You, you yeah. don't have that. No,
1: no. This is this is it, it, it's it's the breakdown of the Cold War. Yeah, you don't have the evil team that you're trying to beat. There's no evil empire that's trying to be overcome. There
0: you go. And and that I mean the closest you had was Red Bull and it. That there was nobody who was really a true rival to Red Bull during those four years.
1: Right. And that's the problem. And I think that that's what people are reacting to. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe you just said it as clearly as it possibly could have been said. We currently have a top team without an actual rival. Yeah. And we've had that now for going on six years. 4 of Red Bull and now we're in year 2 of Mercedes. When you and and the best that the the broadcasters can come up with is Ferrari's inroads into Mercedes, mm-hmm. but when we put them out on track, they're still third. And that you may have just summed up what is ultimately the problem with Formula 1 and it's not making these sweeping changes.
0: Okay, you know, that's now, I think the third week in a row that we've come out and said, this is the problem with Formula One. (laughs) Fix this and you'll fix everything.
1: (laughs) Well, the problem is you can't manufacture a fix for this problem. And I think that that's, that's where your problem is. You can't manufacture a fix for the problem that you don't have Two teams battling it out at the top. Yeah. You have a team with two drivers that are somewhat battling it out.
0: So in, so in, fix that. Instead, you, you end up having the small controversies, the internal, small internal controversies, you know, things like this. Okay,
2: Lewis, if you let Nico pass at this lap, please. Let Nico pass on the main. Start finish straight. Why is he not letting you through? He's had the message, Nico. He's had the message.
0: Well, yes, that creates some headlines and it creates some fury. It fizzles out quickly.
1: It does because, again, you look at the fact that Nico was not in a position to pass, and so why would the the average non-racer could see he wasn't in a position to pass? So why would Hamilton give up the place for him? Yeah. So you know. There There is all of that. But we can solve the issues of Formula One, except that you cannot manufacture it. It has to be organic. And how do you require something to be organic? And you can't regulate a team into being able to rival each other unless you go to customer cars and have everybody in the same car.
0: Yeah, and that's not happening. No. Nope. But you know what is happening next week? Fourth of July. You know what else?
1: yay silverstone
0: (laughs) seems a little odd you know here we are coming up on independence day in the united states celebrating our independence from england and we're excited because of an event happening in england too that's a little weird isn't it
1: yeah except that so many historians have you know talked about the fact that once our greatest rival, the oppressive British Empire, has become our greatest ally mm-hmm. in 225 years of history. I mean, that is an incredible growth period of, the, of a turnaround.
0: So, yep, we head to Silverstone, which is basically the home race of most of the teams. Yes, they're all claiming it's the home. Where where Monaco is the home race of most of the drivers. (laughs) (laughs) This is now the home race of most of the teams. And probably the one race other than Monaco that Lewis wants to win most of all. Yes. So we shall see what happens. Um, Check your local listings for coverage. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Hey, Lewis, don't lose to Rosberg this week, okay? Just keep Rosberg in your rearview mirror. That's all I ask. I don't even say they have to come in first. Just keep him in your rearview mirror.
0: All right. Well, on that note, remember, check us out over on Stitcher. I see we do have listeners. I am checking the stats. I notice it. People are finding it, so they're not going – well, if they are going to Spotify, they're not finding anything. (laughs) But – I do know that s- some folks are finding us over on Stitcher now. Yay! Uh, but check us out over on Stitcher and over on iTunes. We're How about available in both stores. Love reviews of both of them. Um, we're up on Facebook where you can check out, uh, not last week, but the week before's uh, Austria Grand Prix opening that the BBC did. It is definitely worth the time to go check it out. It's about a minute, minute and a half, and, and very cool.
1: It'll be the best minute and a half you spend that whole hour.
0: Yes, definitely. Um, and over check out the website over at www.theblokenumber.com. Uh but uh, other than that, I think we'll call it a show.